And if you would, be turning in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 5. So, uh, man, we've had a wonderful week at church camp. So if you helped out at church camp in any capacity, uh, could you just uh, stand one more time? Stand. We want to uh, thank you for all that you've done and uh, give you a pass if you fall asleep in church this morning. We, we appreciate everything. Uh, man, it's been, a, it's been a great week. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, we, we teach these kids um, deep truths of the Word of God, and they can handle it. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's a week that we spend, uh, we put a lot of effort for our kids, but, man, as adults, we get a whole lot out of it. Um, so we met the Beatitudes at camp, and we learned about the Beatitudes, and they're found here in Matthew 5. Uh, so uh, chapter 5 is uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a, a lengthy message, but the first 12 verses, uh, he, he uses the, this Latin word uh, for blessed. And the word is beatus, beatus. Go ahead and say that with me, beatus. And that's where the Beatitudes came from. So Beatus is a word that means divine joy or perfect happiness uh, in, in the original language. And it was not a word that was used for people. It was only used for gods or the dead. Uh, some translations use the word happy. Uh, but in English, I, I think happiness is a little bit deceiving because happiness moves. Uh, you know, w- when we get a new car, we, we're happy. I mean, it's, it's, we feel good. We're, we're, we're all in. But five years down the road, when we've got to change out the transmission and we got to take it to the shop every time, um, yeah, I, I, my, my truck was in the, in the shop for a new transmission just a couple weeks ago. So, uh, it, it doesn't make me happy, you know? So, um, happiness, Moves, And so I think a better word is joy. And so in the spirit of camp, that's what I've titled this message, I've Got Joy. It's a song that we sing, we've been singing it for decades now. But joy is what Jesus offers to those who trust him. And, and here in his message, he offers uh, seven things to eight types of people. And so let's look at, at what Jesus says. Uh, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless the reading of his word. So again, uh, Jesus offers seven things to eight types of people. And, and the first there is poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3, blessed or filled with joy are the poor in spirit. Now, we can define poor in spirit as humble. Uh, it, it's the opposite of proud or arrogant. So uh, when you think of that word humble, who comes to mind? Who do you know that has been an example of humility in your life? 
Because honestly, humility is hard to find. Because humility is completely opposite of my natural tendencies. My me monster does not play well with humility. There's a story in 1 Samuel 24 uh, of where David spared the life of Saul. Maybe you remember this, this story. By this time, uh, David had been running for his life from Saul. Saul had attempted to kill him several times. And if you look in the headings at the previous chapters, you'll th- see things like uh, David fleeing, or David narrowly escaping, or uh, the people who were helping David slaughtered by Saul just because they helped him. In 1 Samuel 24, by God's providence... Uh, David and his men were hiding in a cave, and Saul went into the same cave to use the facilities, and and David's men encouraged him, okay, now's your chance. Take his life. Uh, He has been wrongfully pursuing you and trying to kill you and us. It's time to end this. Go kill him now. God has given him to you. But instead, Scripture tells us that David sneaked over, and and he cut off the the corner of, of Saul's robe, and he even felt bad for doing that. And, and chapter uh, 24, verse 6 says this, Lord forbid, these are David's words, that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So here is an example of being poor in spirit, hum, humility. He, David is, is humble here. And, and so we see that, that being humble is more than just not bragging about something. Humility willingly submits to God's sovereignty in any, any situation and trusts that God will take care of his own. And humility is not natural. What, what would we do? What would you do if you put, your, put yourself in the same situation? Because I know what I would be tempted to do. I would seek vengeance. I would take matters into my own hands. I would make myself look good. I would make my path to the top by my own means, no matter what I had to do to get there. But in this case, David trusted. Uh, have, you, have you heard the story of the old man who, who lived by the river where uh, floodwaters just tore through his, his area. Um, and, and man, the, the waters just kept rising and rising until eventually he had to go to his, his roof. That was the only dry place that he had. So uh, a neighbor paddled by in a canoe and said, hey man, I'll give you a ride to safety. And the old man said, no, God is going to provide me a way out. So he just sent him on. Well, uh, not too long, the, the flood continued to rise. Floodwaters continued to rise, and, and a coast guard came by, a bigger boat, and said, Sir, let, let us take you to safety. And the man's reply was the same. He said, Nope, God will provide me a way out. And so he just sent him on the way. So finally, uh, he, was, he had a three-by-three three spot on the top of his roof, the very peak of his roof, and a helicopter hovered in, and somebody rappelled down and said, Sir, this is your last chance. We've, we must take you to safety. You have to come with us. And the man replied, Nope. God will provide me a way out. Well, eventually uh, the inevitable happened and the floodwaters continued to rise and the man drowned. And so when he got to heaven, he asked God, okay, God, um, what's, what's the deal? I thought you were going to give me a way out. And God said, um, I did, son. I sent a canoe and a boat and a helicopter and you wouldn't take them. So 
See, that, that story always comes to mind when I hear this story about David in the cave. How did David know that God had not sent Saul to him? How do we know the difference between something that God sends us and something that we manufacture on our own? How do we, how do we know the difference? And the answer is simply intimacy. The next blank on your outline. How do we know the difference between something God sends and something we manufacture? The answer is intimacy. How well do we know the voice of God? Because if I never listen to it, then I probably won't recognize it, and I won't know it very well. I may may know some other voices very well, but I won't know God's. But if I train to recognize God's voice and activity in my life, then I will know if something is sent from God or not. I mean, think about the counterfeit experts that work for the federal government. They don't just, uh, they don't train by looking at every counterfeit out there. They train by looking at the real thing over and over and over and over again, so that when a counterfeit does come across their desk or whatever, then, then they recognize it. And that's what I need to do in my spiritual life. I need to saturate my life with the Word of God so that I know His voice, I know what it sounds like, And I also know what his voice doesn't sound like. And this takes humility in my life. It it takes being humble. This takes being poor in spirit. Acknowledging that I am not sufficient on my own. Lord, I need you. And when we take that stance in our spiritual lives, it should saturate into other areas. And God's word says, when we're like that, he gives the kingdom of heaven. And it's not like he, he hands us a deed to some divine land somewhere, but we do see his activity in our lives. I've heard it said that he brings up there, down here, and we experience him working around us. And so let me ask you, how are you doing in the poor in spirit department? Do you need any work? Does it need any work in your life? Do you need to make it a matter of prayer? Do you need to make any changes in your life? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That brings us to number 2, verse 4, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, uh, this is a passage that I use frequently at a funeral message. Because that word mourn, it's not talking about the small stuff. The word mourn is talking about the big, heavy stuff. It's been defined as that which brings an ache to the heart, and tears to the eyes. And and different things make us mourn, but it's all a part of life. We experience loss, we experience disappointment, we experience difficulties and confusion. I mean, let's face it, life does not always go like we want it to go. And, And my me monster prefers to rewrite this verse because it seems like you're blessed when things go your way. You're blessed when when you don't have a care in the world. You're blessed when there are no disappointments and no confusion and no loss. But that's not what Jesus said. You're blessed when your heart aches and tears come. How is that possible? Well, we have many things that are important to us. Family, health, comfort. And they're not necessarily bad things. But Jesus tells us uh, that every good gift comes James, excuse me, tells us that every good gift comes from God. But when we lose any of them, there is an empty cavity in our heart where whatever it was used to occupy. And what we find is as God's child, when we mourn, 
he comes in and he fills that aching cavity from whatever was lost and he fills it with himself and thus we are comforted. There is a reason why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter in Scripture. Because that's what he does. And and sometimes we cannot experience the comfort of God on certain levels unless something else leaves. There's another interesting and valid explanation for this verse that I had never considered until I read uh, Warren Wiersbe's commentary on Matthew chapter 5. Because as believers, we should mourn sin in our lives as well. And so, uh, verse 4 here, it covers loss and it covers sin. It covers loss and sin. My sin should make my heart ache and bring tears to my eyes. Because it is against the holy God of the universe. It's what separated me from Him. It is what still drives a wedge in my relationship with Him. It's what nailed Jesus to the cross. So I should take the same attitude towards sin that I would towards loss because truthfully, it's just as heavy. And so, what happens when we mourn sin? That should lead to confession. And when we confess it, that leads to His forgiveness and cleansing. And He fills the aching cavity with Himself and thus brings comfort yet again. And we are blessed. We can, we can find joy in forgiveness of sin. Matthew 5, 6 is, is similar. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Number three on your outline. Uh, we, most of us know the story of the woman at the well. And, and we could just say uh, her life was messed up. First of all, she was a woman, and in her society that was strike one. Secondly, she was a Samaritan. In this society, it was strike two because Samaritans were only half Jewish and thus hated by the Jews and seen as dirty and impure and not worthy. But then we see that her life choices had led her to a place where apparently she didn't even get along with the other women of the town because she went to the well during the heat of the day and not during the cool of the day like everyone else would have. But something in her heart was searching We can pretty much read between the lines and know that she was looking for more to life. She had tried relationships. Scripture says she'd been married five times and she was working on number six. She had tried religion. Much of the conversation with Jesus was about religion. But something in her heart longed for the Messiah. And little did she know that when she woke up that day, she would be speaking with him face to face. And so Jesus pointed her to the truth that holiness is what fulfills, and holiness is only found in Him. And so I say to any among us who may be looking for significance and fulfillment, and maybe you've looked in a whole lot of different places, in relationships, in religion, in success, in toys, if anything, yet you still find yourself empty. Hunger for whatever is pure and right and righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what you're looking for, and it is found only in Jesus. And when you acknowledge that everything else this world has to offer is leaving you empty, and you hunger for the righteousness that only Jesus brings, that promise is is for you that you will be filled For those of us who already know him, the the, the promise still applies. 
Uh, Keep pursuing, keep seeking, keep hungering, keep thirsting for what is right and good instead of all the distractions that the world has to offer. And the Word says, we will be filled. So church, these are the, these are the Beatitudes. They tell us what our attitudes should be. And the textbook definition of attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. And so what we see is uh, poor in spirit. It reflects our attitude toward ourselves. Poor in spirit. It, it, it's not about me. Uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness can, be de- can describe our, our attitude toward sin. God, how we need you to help us overcome sin. Starting in verse 7, Jesus speaks of our attitude toward others. He says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Number four there on your outline. Uh, so mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's similar to grace, which is uh, getting what you don't deserve. But in Christ, we receive both. And so Jesus taught the next blank on your outline. We get mercy when we give mercy. We get mercy when we give mercy. Uh, when someone hurts us and we forgive them, whether they ask for it or not, that's mercy. Uh, the story of, uh, of Peter Remember that the story of Peter in Matthew 18, uh, where, where Peter asked Jesus, Okay, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And I've always heard it taught that people, Peter probably felt pretty gracious with this number here. Uh, it's the old, fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And Peter's given you five extra times to forgive you. But then he's, he's ready to just move on and be done with you. But look what Jesus said. In verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as was, he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But went and, and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt and had compassion because you begged me. So should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each one of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's a tough one to hear, really, but man, forgiveness is a theme throughout the Word because forgiveness is foundational to the gospel. And church, I will never forget studying the topic of forgiveness just a few years ago. And the Lord saying to my heart, you know what? Bitterness counts. Bitterness counts. You can, you can write that down. 
because I, I, I got to be honest, I still need to be reminded of that. Because we know uh, people hurt us, people hurt the ones we love, and, and we can come to terms with that hurt, and we can choose not to dwell on what they did to us, and we can even find it in our hearts to, to say we forgive them, but then we still hold on to these bitter feelings about them, and those are the ones that Satan likes to take and, and stir in our hearts and minds. And that's when we need to be reminded, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Don't we know we've already received mercy through Christ? Don't we know that whatever has been done to us is just as bad or worse than what we've done to God? And yet He still loves us. He still forgives us. He's not bitter towards us for all the things that we've done against Him. Instead, He loves us and He offers us mercy he doesn't give us what we deserve. I love this, this quote from Tony Evans. Uh, you can bank on the fact that a time is coming when you will need mercy. You can bank on it. A time is coming when you will need mercy. And so rather than condemning someone, God calls us to have compassion. And church, if, if the quality of mercy is found anywhere, it should be among God's people. Uh, verse, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, showing mercy is part of being a, a peacemaker. Uh, we, we've seen uh, our attitude towards ourselves. Uh, it's not about me. We've seen our attitude towards sin. It should break our hearts. Uh, and rather than pursuing the things of the world, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We've seen our attitude toward others. It is give mercy and, and make peace. And these attitudes are what bring joy to our hearts. And finally, we see our attitude towards our enemies. Our attitude towards our enemies. Matthew 5, 10, and 12. Blessed are those who are, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, so we've seen in our, our 2020 study, as we begin to, to finish up here, uh, much of the New Testament was written to churches who were under heavy persecution. And, and we don't understand all that people in other parts of the world are enduring for their faith, but we do live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile toward anyone who takes a biblical stance on anything. And so we just need to be reminded, if and when it comes, uh, there is more going on than meets the eye. Uh, and and uh, God is still in control, and whatever God has to give to us is much more valuable than losing a job or livelihood just because of the biblical stance that we take. God uses these things to bring up there, down here, and we can find joy, this beatus in our hearts, because we know God's got us, and He's working in the bigger picture to accomplish bigger things than we can ever see. And so my question, uh, as we go into a time of invitation, can you say, I've got joy? In your heart, do you have joy no matter what's going on? Uh, 
more than happiness. I mean, happiness is good, but happiness moves. So do you have joy, this, this deep-rooted emotion that is found not in stuff, but in a relationship with Jesus? Let's take a moment right where we are and just allow the Lord to work in our hearts. Uh, of, the, of the things that we've covered today, which one do you need the most work on? Mercy, peace, mourning. Which one? Maybe you just need comfort today. God offers it. If you're struggling, man, continue to pursue the the, the things of faith. Continue to move forward. Because God is faithful. And He is working um, in a bigger picture than you can see. Lord, we invite you to come this morning and we thank you for these Beatitudes, Lord, that we've been looking at all week at camp. And so I I pray a special blessing on, on those of us who are here today, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, help us recall what you've spoken to us today through your word. Lord, if there are any here who, who are struggling God, meet them right where they are and give joy. If there are any who are mourning, Lord, fill their hearts with comfort. We do need you more than anything, Lord, so help us to live like it. It is in the awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.